Let's stand for the reading of God's Word, Jeremiah 32. Thank you, Jesus. Jeremiah chapter 32. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord in the tenth year of Zedekiah, king of Judah, which was the eighteenth year of Nebuchadnezzar. At that time, the army of the king of Babylon was besieging, surrounding and closing off all the supply lines. Just came and surrounded God's people, Jerusalem. And this prophet Jeremiah was shut up in the court of the guard which was in the palace of the king of Judah. They took God's mouthpiece, the devil did, through the enemy and tried to silence him, which is in the palace of the king of Judah. For Zedekiah, king of Judah, had imprisoned him. This is not only the enemy from without, this was the king who was supposed to be worshipping God. He actually shut the prophet and said, do not say another word. I will hurt you, I will kill you. So there are people who can pretend to be God's people, but they're actually following the enemy. And God says to his people, don't be afraid, because I'm watching everything. Don't be silent, I'm watching over you. For this king of Judah had imprisoned him, saying, Why do you prophesy and say, This is what God says, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I'm giving this city, God's city, Jerusalem, into the hand of the king of Babylon, and he shall take it. Zedekiah, king of Judah, shall not escape out of the hand of the Chaldeans, but shall surely be given into the hand of the king of Babylon, and shall speak with him face to face, and see him eye to eye. And he shall take Zedekiah to Babylon, and there he shall remain until I visit him, says the Lord, though you fight against the Chaldeans, you shall not succeed. This is God saying to his people, you have sinned against me, and there is a captivity, and I have actually orchestrated this, don't fight against my plan. Because even though you're going to go to captivity, I'll be with you right there. If you turn to me, at the appointed time, I'll set you free and bring you back. Sometimes in our lives, we want to cut short God's plan in every point that he wants to connect in our lives. We want to jump over everything that God has put. And you know what will happen? If we don't go through certain repercussions and trials, when God gives us the promised land, we will make a mess of it. God knows how to get our attention. God knows how to speak to us. God knows how to be with us and then prepare us so that when we do come back to Him, we won't make the same mistake. God is all wise. So the message came from the prophet to Zedekiah the king. And Jeremiah 
being a faithful, genuine prophet, he wouldn't mince words. He wouldn't say anything that God didn't say. How many prophets do you know, so-called preachers, that will give you what you want to hear? The Bible says these are people to whom a lot of people flock to suit their itching ears. There's this itching to hear a good word, and the word they want to hear is, you're okay when you're not okay. But God's word comes to us and says, you know what? I've been watching, and the path you took was not pleasing to me. It has invited demons into your life. I need to work this out. Not that he needs time to do anything. God is God. He can do anything. Time is not a factor. But for our good, he will take us through certain hurdles so that we can be refined. We can come to genuine repentance. We can appreciate the goodness of God and not make a mess of it next time. Zedekiah said, I don't want to hear this. I want to hear a prophet that will tell me, this king that is coming, even though God says I'm sending the enemy to discipline you, the king that's coming, you may be seated, the king that's coming, he is going to actually be a tool in my hand so that I can get your full attention and I can bless you like you never have known before. Isn't God good? He said, the plans I have for you are to prosper you, not to harm you. But the natural mind says, but this king of Babylon is coming with his army and they're not going to let us go. They want to harm us. We know their history. But you know what? Even if other people have suffered and gone down, when God gives you a word, when he gives me a word, that it's not going to happen to you. It's not going to happen. I will preserve you in the midst of this danger because I'm still with you. What a word. If I were the king, if you were the king, wouldn't you say, God, we should have been slaughtered. My whole nation should have just been slaughtered. But you've been so kind. I'm hearing a word. I may not understand it fully. Maybe I don't like it initially, but it's the word of the Lord. It's the word of the Lord. I need to do what? Not adjust God to suit my path, but adjust myself to suit God's plan. Amen? I need to adjust myself. Zedekiah was hasty. He was proud. He said, Jeremiah, I'm going to shut you down. You're not going to tell me anything I don't want to hear. What was he doing at that point? He was playing God. God is watching. And sure enough, what God said happened to him, who can stop the Lord God Almighty? But God is love. And this is what happened here. He says that you will not succeed if you fight against this enemy. Just go. He said, 70 years. 70 years, Judah, my people, are going to be in captivity. But I promise you, when you're going through your punishment that I have not even executed to the degree that you rebelled against me, I'm so thankful God is so merciful. He said, I've not rewarded you according to your sins. Never has God done that to any of us. That's why we're here today. But he said, I'm going to take you through this path. Humble yourself. Keep quiet. I promise you, I will prosper you even in your captivity. Now, this is not talking about sin. No one should misunderstand this. 
that you know what, God has allowed me to get into a bad situation with some bad people and I'm doing the wrong thing and I'm hearing this word and maybe God is saying that while I'm doing the wrong thing, it's okay, God is with me. No, that's not what he's saying. He's saying when you're in captivity physically, in a foreign land, as long as you look to me, turn your face toward the temple in Jerusalem, or where it was, because now you destroyed it, I will hear you. I will hear you. God is a God who remembers. Solomon prayed when he dedicated the temple. He said, Lord, when any of us ever rebel against you, God, would you do this? When we turn our face toward Jerusalem and we cry out to you, Lord, remember us, Lord, when we're in sin, have mercy and bring us back, Lord. God said, I'll do it. I'll do it. Generations pass, but God is faithful. He will never go back on his word. Whether it's the word we read directly from the scripture or it's a prophetic word, you can know 100% it will come to pass. But why Jeremiah, that the Lord gave as I was driving today to church, Jeremiah 32, God says, I will prosper you if you keep quiet and just follow my plan. It may not seem correct in the natural mind, but you know what? Some people are willing to climb over mountains, literally cross the seas, you know, for what? For a love interest. When they're in love, they'll go through war, they will wait, they'll go through all kinds of stuff because that's how strong that pull is with the human love. If we know that in the natural we can do this, can we do it for God, who's the greatest person in the universe, who loves us with everything that's in Him? He gave His Son to die for us. We can do it. We can say, God, you want me to change the way I do things? So from now on, God, from this passage here, you're telling me that when you give me a plan and I don't comprehend it, I don't understand it, God, I don't know exactly how it's supposed to work out in the natural but God, you gave me a word, and I promise I will do exactly what you say. Did you know the people that were there in Babylon, those who obeyed God, it's amazing, the love of God. They actually were able to plant vineyards, have houses. I mean, you think about punishment. If anyone ever says to you, or the devil comes and whispers in your ear, God is really, really angry and he's really, really fierce, you know, and he takes vengeance and he's not going to let anybody go. Here's a prime example right here. You had, let me tell you the sin, you had a whole nation that God himself birthed, God himself was with. You know what they did? They said, God, you brought us into a land that we didn't even work for. Lord, you gave us vineyards, you gave us houses to our fathers, our forefathers. You gave us all of this. You know, what did they do? They started looking around to the neighborhood. They said, look at that guy over there. He's burning incense to the queen of heaven. These Canaanite gods and goddesses. And one Israelite said, you know what, I like the temple. I like worshiping God. I feel that we have a relationship with God. I just know He's there. But I like the way He's worshiping. 
Who is he? He's not even, the fa- not even the family of God. What is he doing? He's saying, well, there's a goddess up there, you know, some people call Isis and Ishtar and all kinds of names. In every culture you can find a mother goddess figure. It's from the pit of hell. Because Jesus Christ is the only way to salvation. Amen? There's none other. God is the Father. He's not a mother. He's the Father. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But look at what the devil does. And you know what? Inevitably, if you look at history, you look at religion, they will always have blatant, gross immorality attached with it. There'll be a cult of fertility worship where they'll have grotesque figures of women and they'll say, this is the goddess, this is the mother. So you can see, it's not a simple question of, well, maybe they understand God a little differently. No. This was demonic worship of a demon and it made the people immoral and they also sacrificed their babies in the most horrific way to these gods and goddesses. No wonder God said, when I bring you to the promised land, do not look to the right, don't look to the left, because if you do, your eyes are going to tell you, I think that looks nice. And eventually, you're going to be fully in league with the enemies of God, who are actually worshipping the devil. And they're immoral, and they're violent, and they're lying, and they're stealing. This is what Judah did. The whole lot of them, except for a few, they just betrayed God. The God who really is God, the one who loved them so much and gave them everything, they said, bye-bye, God. What happens when we say bye-bye to God? We say hello to the devil. That's what happens. It's default. There's no neutral ground. How important it is to say, God, but your commandment said, you shall have no other God before me, and you only, I will worship, Lord. You shall not make a graven image of anything that's in heaven, above, on the earth, or underneath the earth, and bow down to it. Don't do it. This is exactly what the Indians in Asia did, the Greeks did, the people in Latin America did, Every culture under the sun, they started worshipping whatever their imagination told them. You know who's behind that imagination was the devil. So that sin was happening. That opened the door to demonic spirits, voodoo and santeria and all kinds of demonism and shamanism and all these different things. And people started having their medicine men, you know. They would go to these witch doctors. We think about it today, and you know, we're so sophisticated in the 21st century, we may think, well, that's really superstitious, we're beyond that. And how come people still consult mediums? How come people still go to people that can read the palms? Where's God in all of this? No wonder God said, it's either or, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, I will show you everything you need to know. But if you go to the enemy, you're going to be in captivity. Thank God. Even though God saw the destruction of his own temple. And he said, you're going to go into captivity. For every year that you disobeyed me and you polluted the Sabbath. The Jews have what's called Shabbat or Sabbath, which is Saturday. And under the law, they are supposed to consecrate or dedicate one whole day to just serving God and thinking about God. Every family. You don't have to be a priest. Every father, every mother, every child, they knew. 
when Friday evening comes, 5.59 p.m., the start of the Sabbath, this was the Jews. God never turned or changed that principle. We do not have the Jewish Sabbath. But we have the Lord's Day. He rose on a Sunday and he obliterated all of the requirements of the law that stood between him, us and God. He was a mediator. So he brought us to a new way. So it's not legalistic, oh, it's Saturday or it's Sabbath or Sunday, and here I go. I can't play, I can't watch TV, I can't do this or that. It's not that. It's God. You're giving me an opportunity to relax, to get my mind on things that can really refresh my soul. I need a reset. God, all week long I've been working, I've been with people. God, I need you. If I don't have this reset and dedicate my life to you all over again at the start of the week, my week is not going to go good. We can make it by God's grace, but it's not the way God intended. These people who were given the Sabbath, they just desecrated it. God says, don't work on the Sabbath. I will provide for you. You can work six days. I will provide for you. Do you have faith in me that the God who provided for you from Monday to Saturday will also give you your provision on Sunday? Do you have faith in me that the God who kept you all week long, psychologically, emotionally, relationally, He helped you through it, won't He keep you on Sunday, especially if you focus on Him? They violated it. They had Saturday. Totally violated it. Why was God so upset? You know why? Because in Genesis it says, six days the Lord made heaven and earth and everything within it. All the universe. And on the seventh day, God set it apart and made it holy, and God rested on the seventh day. It's not that God got tired. He never gets tired. But he had a particular work that he did. And then he said, I'm going to consecrate the completion of that week, that work. And I'm going to set it up as a principle for all my people that you need to get work out of your mind, get all of your hobbies and things that you like to do out of your mind, and say, God, I need this reset. I need to rest, not just physically, the doctors can tell you physically to rest at least one day is beneficial. But God says it's deeper than that. The heart of a human being, the spirit, needs to know its creator. And if we don't take time for him, we will get swallowed up with the cares of this life. It will become a drudgery. And we will have, you know what? Thorns and thistles, just like Adam experienced when he violated God's law. They knew this. Moses talked about it. And they got so blessed. But their humility didn't rise with the blessing. Pride rose. And then what God said not to do, they said, but look at his car. He's got Baal written on his windshield. And it's so sparkly and looks so nice. Look at that girl over there. She has this tattoo or whatever, you know, and is worshipping Satan. 
Can you imagine the people of God saying, I like that. Where'd you get that tattoo? Worship Satan. Who would ever think of that? That's the equivalent of what they did. Basically, they said, God, we don't want you. We know you did everything for us. We, we really want to leave you. Maybe we'll come back, but we want to serve other gods. Very, very blatant rebellion. God warned them, and he said, don't do it. Why, Israel, would you die? Why do you want to die? Because when you open the door to the devil, what does the devil come to do? Three things, right? Let's say it together. The devil comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. There's no other agenda for the devil. Never has been, never will be. Until he's destroyed. But Jesus said, I'm come that you might have life and that more abundantly. The real joy of living. So this is how heinous their crime was. But even in the midst of this blatant rebellion, God's heart is so tender, he could have squashed them right there and said, forget about you. But he's not like that. He said, I'm going to work out a plan where I can actually bring you out of all of your sorrows and place you back in the original plan. I'm so thankful because that's exactly what God did in Christ Jesus. In Jesus Christ, he said, you have gone out of my will and you're about to be slaughtered, but wait, I'm sending my son to die on the cross, a brutal death, to pay for your sins with his blood so that you can be reclaimed, redirected, reset to the original plan of God. That's the grace of God. That's the grace of Almighty God. He's so kind, he's so good. But you know something? We need to remember, God cannot leave sin alone. Any person that sins, any one of us, we need to know, it will always have something bad at the end of it. Always. And the worst thing is, if we keep in that cycle of sinning and saying, oh, I escaped today, and then sin again and say, well, I still went to work. And sin again, well, I still have these things I can do. It's only going to cover up the wound that's festering. And God says, I want to heal you of, you know what? Through Jeremiah, says this, of your backsliding. That is profound. The first time I read that, years ago, I was just taken aback. It was like, I heard about healing of the body. I heard about healing of uh, you know, people's emotions, depression, things like that. But God says, I myself have the power and I have the love and the initiative to actually step into your life and break that cycle once and for all, where you keep backsliding and backsliding and backsliding. Anyone who hears that word and says, God, you can do this. I believe it. You can do it. They will see a miracle in their lives. God will step in and God will do that. We have that message. We can tell people. It's not too late. You can turn to God. Jeremiah was a faithful prophet. He suffered because of the message that he preached. You know what? His name is in the eternal book. As a faithful man, when the pressure was on, everybody was against him. 
even the king. He said to them this on another occasion, whatever you want to do to me, go ahead and do it. But I want to tell you, whatever you do, God is watching. He will vindicate me. He was known as the weeping prophet, but he wasn't crying forever. He's actually full of joy now in the presence of God. We need to know trials are God-ordained to make us realize we can't live without God. Whether trials come as a result of our rebellion or because we're doing the right thing like Jeremiah. Either way, God is so good, He's so compassionate beyond our understanding many times that He will allow us to go through things so we get to the end of our rope. And we say, God, I can't do this anymore. Lord, I don't know what to do about my son. I keep talking to him and talking to him and talking to him. Nothing's getting through. I don't know what to do about my parents, Lord. I'm showing them this new life, but it's not getting through. They got this hardness in the heart. Lord, I'm trying to talk to my brother, my sister, in the family, and it's not getting through. That's when our faith takes another leap. Says God, even when I can't figure it out and it doesn't seem to be working, I know that I know that I know that through you it's possible. And I am going to pray one more time. I'm going to seek you one more time. How many of you have seen the remarkable intervention of God in your life when you cried out to God, when everything was at a standstill? There's no sign of life, no sign of repentance, nothing. All of a sudden, the person gets born again and they're actually leading you to church. Amen? God is the only one who can do such a thing. So, when we hear these things, we read the scriptures, we hear the testimonies, we hear the word expounded, God is speaking to us. He's saying, don't give up, but also, ask me with faith. Don't look at what's in front of you, because I do not operate in that way. I operate in the supernatural. God can heal. God can forgive. God can restore. God is still on the throne. Hallelujah. Praise be to God. Praise be to God. The God of Israel will prosper His people. And the prosperity that God can give will begin from inside. The world's prosperity is these green bills and they will perish with the possessor. But God's prosperity is a new life. And regardless of what situation we come up against in life, our faith will only get stronger and become like gold. God will use our lives to show everybody else who's running in that rat race more clothing, more money, more cars, more relationships, more pleasures, more music, more fighting. Some people live to fight. Whatever turns them on, it all leads to destruction. But with God, is real love, real joy, real peace, real purpose, everything that is good. It seems elusive in this world. Every time we read the paper, I used to get so disappointed when I thought I found a hero. You know, growing up, whether in literature or in the film business, Whenever I saw our sports, 
I thought, man, I like this person. And I like the quality. They were disciplined. I like that. I need that in my life. Uh, they were popular. I like that. They had money. I like that. They had skill. So I had to look a little closer. But inevitably, it would just be a big letdown. Because I'll see how they ended up. Miserable. Family, not around them. Miserly, hoarding the money. Afraid. Millions of dollars, but afraid to leave the house. Crippled with a spirit of fear. What good is that money? We've heard people say that the more money you have, the less you can sleep. It says that in the Bible, actually. The world. Abraham was not like that. So, we have to settle it. I want the prosperity that comes from God. However He wants to prosper me, I know that's a sure way to real happiness, lasting joy. And I'll have a place in heaven. I will follow God. But the other way is going to lead to destruction. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. The paycheck we get that Adam got in all humanity since that time. We work hard at rebelling against God. The paycheck is death. The death is not just physical death. It's a death inside and I'm never satisfied. I'm never secure. It's always I have to try something new. New relationships. Some people new bars. New whatever. Idols. It's a merry-go-round. But it's a wilderness experience. The Lord said, I want to stop the merry-go-round. Get off of that merry-go-round. Let me put you on a straight path to glory. There's going to be no running around like a hamster. With Jesus Christ, there are discrete, definite steps of spiritual growth where you know you're getting stronger. You know why? Because when temptation comes to you, they used to slaughter you, all of a sudden you know God has given you power. Amen? You can stand up against the devil. You can say no and the devil will flee. Rather than cave in and cave in and cave in. Every time it's a cycle of defeat. You can get to the point where the devil can bring to you a million times of that one thing that used to trip you up. And it won't phase you because the Holy Spirit is within you. And you'll have the power and the strength to walk in a victorious way. Jeremiah was faithful to God even though virtually no one else was. He said, I know God too well. I will never doubt Him. If he's telling us that he's bringing punishment, I know he's been waiting a long time. And if he says that I will be with you, just go quietly with the king of Babylon, I know he's fierce. He was ruthless. Nebuchadnezzar was ruthless. They will go to the land that they want to conquer. He will set up a throne right there in the field and slaughter the people in front of him in the most humiliating and cruel way you can imagine. The Syrians did that too. So, the people of Israel or the Judah are thinking, he's coming over here, that's it for us. We need to fight him, we need to run away. God said, don't do it. Because if you do, you'll be out of my plan. He's not going to harm you. Trust me. This is my plan. I told you I'm bringing him, right? Go quietly. I will be with you. 
I will be with you and plant vineyards for you. Houses, you're going to be good, you're going to be well. But it's going to give you time to really think about what you did to me. So that you don't do that again. Neither you, nor your children, nor the descendants. See how good God is? He's always thinking long term. The devil always comes and says, here, pleasure, pleasure, pleasure. But he never talks about the sting of the serpent at the end of that. But God says, let me show you the right way. So that you and your generation, I care about your children. Since when did the devil care about your children, my children? Never. He wants to kill them the quickest way he can. He wants to destroy them, not God. God said, I love you and your children, your grandchildren, your whole generation. I want to change the legacy. These people knew God and they started sinning against God secretly. When you look at the scriptures, you know what they did first? First, they took a little idol. They made a miniature idol of what they saw in the world. They brought that TV show into the house. Oh, they knew God doesn't like this. Illicit relationships and all kinds of deviant lifestyles and violence. And, but you know what? My kid likes that. He gets really charged up. And the more he does these violent games and shows, uh, he cuts the grass faster. And he cleans up his room and it's working up for me. I know it's not the best way, but that's compromise. What happens when we have that secret thing in the life? Bigger demon comes and sets up shop. Kid gets a little older. And instead of mom, dad, it's like, what did I tell you? I told you. I got to go to school. Where's my money? Where's my food? Respect goes down. It's a demon. It's a rebellion. Pretty soon, I've seen this. It's horrible. You start to shove the parents. Oh, yes. What parent would have ever imagined that? Their own child? Pushing them? Intimidating them? Oh, God, that's a curse. And God said as much in Deuteronomy, hundreds of years before. He said, I'm giving you a list of what will happen to you. I promise you it's going to happen to you. Do not forsake the Lord your God. I want to give you everything. I will bless your going out and coming in. I'll bless your baskets. I'll bless you in the field. I'll bless you in the house. I'll bless your, the labor of your hands. I'll prosper everything you do, I promise. I will increase you. I'll make you the head and not the tail. I'll make you above and not beneath. I'll make you to be a lender and not a borrower. God said, I will do it. But he also said this, but I'm giving you a strong caution. If you forsake me, the very land that I brought you to will vomit you out. And you're going to have disease and danger and fear is going to grip you. He literally said, fear will run your life. What do they do? They got scared for the moment. By and by, I think I like to watch this. I think I like a little of that. Look at that guy. I like the way he acts. But is he from God? That's the first question that you should train your children to ask. Is this from God? Or is this from the devil? And the children should be trained to know there's only God or the devil. There's no neutral ground. In everything. But these parents, what do they do? They started out, and I've said this before, I've seen this in the museums, 6th century, around this time actually, B.C., in the museums I saw, they found in archaeology, little miniature goddesses and gods. You know where they found it? In Israeli homes. Right there where God was. And God told Ezekiel and Jeremiah, 
oh, they're coming to church, they're worshiping. But let me take you behind the scenes. He literally gave Ezekiel a vision and showed behind closed doors these people were burning incense to these idols. God says, am I not just Ezekiel Jeremiah for what I'm about to do? Do you see what they're doing? Prophets were burning. They're like, how could you do this to God? And then, from the miniature idols, it became full-blown idolatry. Where they literally started building shrines. And that's why the northern part, Israel, was taken to the Assyrians and they slaughtered them. God told Judah, the southern part of Israel, don't do what your sister did up in the north. Because the same thing's going to happen to you. How could they not listen when they saw it in front of their eyes? That's the depth to which the human heart can be deceived. This, this monster grows, this rebellious spirit that I don't care what I see, what happens to people. There's a numbness, I don't care. You can show me a hundred people died from doing this, I'm still going to do it. Because the mentality is, the deception is, it may happen to them, but it's not going to happen to me. And that's how the devil gets people to play what? Russian relay. Take that gun and say, well, it's probably not loaded. It wasn't loaded last time. Boom, and it was loaded. It's gone. It's over. Sickening. People play that game. But God warned these people. Today, God is giving a perspective that we need to understand God loves us, and that's why He tells us the whole nine yards. He tells us exactly what's going to happen. He tells us that if you rebel against me, if you forget me, I'll forget your children. He literally said that. Why? Because He's God. And so it's the responsibility of the parent, the child, whoever's the guardian, to say, listen, I've been down this road before. I escaped by the skin of my teeth. By the grace of God. Let me tell you how many people I grew up with. We need to tell our kids. Let me tell you how many people I grew up with. They're not here anymore. They died horribly. Because they played with the grace that was shown to them. I escaped. And I'm thankful every day. I don't want you to become a statistic. What do they do today instead of that? Keep feeding them the lie. With the music. With the games. With the movies. Oh, it's a deadly, sickening, self-destructive prison. Because when they think they're free, they're really under the domination of an evil spirit working through that mega star, through that pop singer, through that wrestler, through that Hollywood actor. Demons. And the children get affected by it. But if the parents are doing it, can you blame the children? That's why it's important to understand the lesson. They went into captivity. They didn't have to. It was not part of God's original plan. God actually made this plan to try to salvage them, to rescue them. But they never needed to go through this. People around Israel feared them. They feared them because they knew this was the God that opened the Red Sea. This was the God that brought those plagues on the superpower of the day, Egypt. This was the God that brought them to a land that wasn't their own and drove out all of those evil, wicked people. You know what the people around said? These people are weak. And they started actually speaking against God. And God was watching. When the 70 years was up in Babylon, from this point, He brought them back. They were crying. 
The older people were crying and crying and crying because they were coming back. That restoration that God has given you and to me, we need to have a deep, deep gratitude. We need to really weep in God's presence and say, Lord, I don't deserve not the least of your mercies, Lord. And Lord, I am going to make it my business to instill in my children and people that are with me about how great you are and how it is wise to obey God's commandments and how it's deadly to disobey. God told Jeremiah to speak. Sometimes we have to speak the hard things to people we love. If we hold that back, we will become an accomplice with the devil. Because the lies will make them strengthen in their sense. We need to tell them, listen, far more than medical evidence and medical advice, what you're doing to your body is actually killing your soul. Because the body is an extension of the soul within. It's not the soul, but it's an extension. So it has an effect on your soul too. The body was meant to be the temple of God. We can't desecrate it. You see what that does to a child? Let me tell you, I've seen children, brothers in the same family. One went to the street life, gang life, ruthless. The other one went to become a minister of the gospel. Real minister, not a fake minister. What happened? Both of them in the same Sunday school. Both of them in the same house. They heard the word. One yielded to it. The other one didn't. And often, the parents could not pick it up. They thought, well, he's just as good as the other one. And he'll turn around. And like I said, it started growing, growing, growing. The rebellion, full-blown, no control anymore. God gives us insight in the Word of God to spot the seeds of rebellion in our children just like He helps us spot it in ourselves so that we can tell them and redirect them and, you know what? Stop everything. It's like kids with uh, parents that care about education, homework. I mean, some parents are like, you don't do your homework, you don't have your video games, you don't get to go outside, you're not seeing no one, you're not seeing anyone. You're not even going to get to make a phone call until you finish your homework. Why? Because the parent values education. They know that education can lead to success in life in a conventional way of thinking. So, they may not be so keen on other things, but when it comes to education, because they understand the value, they are very, very strongly opposed to anything that will come against that. What about the soul? What about the soul of the child? If we know that if the soul is not right, even if they get a good education, they're still going to end up in hell because they're going to be deviant. They're just going to be a clever devil with education. Like we see doctors and lawyers and diplomats and aristocrats, politicians. Oh, they got a lot of uh, purchasing power. They can go and walk into a room and you got the press right there. They're VIP. You know what? They have a chain around their neck. They're following the devil. God says, you know better? Start to read the word, pass it down to children. It's a sobering thing. Why? 
is God giving this word at this time? Too many families are being slaughtered by the devil and there's very few preachers, there are very few preachers they will actually just tell it like it is. There's no invention. I'm not inventing anything. Just tell them what's in the book. Don't pick and choose to skew the message. Tell them what God said. You know why? So the fear of God can come upon them. The good fear of God. So that they can redirect their way. And as I said, the example of the two brothers, one went to the wrong lifestyle, and the other one went to the right lifestyle. They may have heard the message, but the parents, you know, like remedial education, when you're in school, as a teacher, when you're in school, what do you do? You look at the children that are actually behind, what do you do? You're supposed to give that specialized one-on-one -on -one instruction. You're supposed to work it into your day, because you don't want them left behind. A good teacher will be able to spot that right away. Not wait till the kid fails and fails and beat him over the head and tell the parents he's He's a failure and then see if he can do something. No. A good teacher will spot it early. He's struggling in the phonetics. He's struggling in the basic math. She's struggling in, in express, expressive of speech. Come along and remediate that. God has given us a job. He said the book, the holy book, the word of God is up to date, is current. Spoken to you as a parent. Just like Jeremiah, tell it like it is. And if you see someone in your home is not getting it, pray harder for that. Say, God, I can't get through. I'm doing everything I can, Lord. God can do a miracle. God can all of a sudden make that child wake up and have the fear of God and say, you know what, Mom, Dad? I wasn't listening before, but now I understand. What a thrill it is to... to God's people. There's been a turnaround. God's a God of hope. God will answer our prayers if we do the right thing. Get into God's Word. How many here this afternoon can testify that since you started taking the Word of God seriously, you really started reading and praying, you saw not just any change, dramatic change in your life. How many people? Let's give God the glory, because God is real. God has done it. Praise be to God. Praise be to God. God is an awesome God. We're going to stand up and sing. We've heard the word. Let's worship the Lord. Let's, let's stand up and let's praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Praise you, Lord. Praise you, Lord. Praise you, Lord. Let's thank God for this word. You know, we may think, well, it wasn't the prophecy I wanted to hear, maybe. It wasn't uh, something that made me really get fired up and I'm going to go conquer the world today. But it's the type of thing that lays the solid foundation. Right now, I'm hearing things and maybe I need to step up my efforts before God in taking care of what God told me to take care of. And then to my family, lovingly, but without compromise, tell them, let's read the word together. You know what we tell people sometimes who have family members who just don't want to read the Bible or have family prayer? First of all, we tell them to pray. 
like never before. God's Spirit can move. And then we tell them, just say, can we have like a two-minute prayer? That's not the ideal, but it's a starting point. Just say, let's just, let's just pray for a second. You pour out your heart, even if they don't want to pray. It's okay. And you know what? Pretty soon you can step it up to what? Hey, can we read the Psalms? One verse. Psalm 150, the very last verse. What does it say? That everything that has breath, praise the Lord. Just say it. And then let's pray. Two minutes. That's the starting point. And as you pray, the person will start to feel something and they'll say, I, I can do this. You can expand that to five minutes. You have just started to destroy the devil's strongholds in your family member's life. God is able to do such a thing. God is able to start somewhere and end you and your family in paradise. It's awesome. There's no other place that we can ever get such a promise like that. Praise the Lord. Praise God. God is awesome. We're going to sing to God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Oh, God, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for plowing through our hearts. God, I thank you for plowing through our hearts. Lord, I could have read this a hundred times. I needed to hear it too. We need to hear your word. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we will be patient. We will be patient. We will patiently listen to your word because we know it means life. I thank you, Jesus. 